The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Good morning. Today's passage comes from Luke 10, 38 through eleven thirteen. 13. Um, if you're reading the Black Pew Bible, it's going to be found on page 816. Please stand with me as I read God's word. Luke 10, 38 through eleven thirteen. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of God. Sermon title this morning is The Savior's Disciples, as we'll see here in a moment. Um, And if you saw on Slack last night or this morning, uh, we're rounding into a new theme, a new section in this big middle chunk of Luke's gospel. The main idea that we're going to see as we roll into this new theme about just what it means to be the Savior's disciples uh, should be on the screen behind me there is this idea that when missionary disciples listen to Jesus... And when missionary disciples pray to the Father, the Savior's kingdom grows. So the big thought that we're hanging over this chunk of scriptures from 1038 to Luke 13:21 is this idea of the growth of the Savior's kingdom. How does the Savior's kingdom grow? Well, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to begin to uh, unpack that for us and what he's going to help us see here through this Mary-Martha interaction and this teaching on the Lord's Prayer is that as individual missionary disciples grow in word and prayer, it's also connected to this overall growth 
of the kingdom. As we are growing in our pursuit, God's kingdom growing, as it were, in our own hearts, our own minds, it will begin to spread outward to other because through the word, through prayer, we become more closely aligned to the Father's will. We are praying to the Father, asking, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and then God uses us to see his kingdom grow. This big idea right there that I just explained is what is going to really be like the big umbrella, as it were, over this new section that we're just going into. We have to start somewhere, and Luke is going to help us by starting to understand that the Savior's kingdom grows when missionary disciples, compassionate laborers, men, women, born again, pursue Jesus listening to his words, and praying to the Father. So let's pray. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to speak powerfully today. Uh, my mind was this morning just turned to these scriptures, uh, these verses out of 1 Corinthians 2. Um, and I was praying for us along these lines of just Paul talking about him deciding to know nothing um, among the Corinthians except Christ and him crucified and how he approached them in weakness and fear and trembling. And then he was praying and speaking along these lines. He said, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And earlier Paul just told us that Christ is the power of God. That's what I need this morning. I don't know where you've been the past six days and 22 hours since we met last, but I need the demonstration of the Spirit and His power. I need the Holy Spirit to speak through me. You don't need just speech and message and words of just plausible thoughts from a man. What we need is the Holy Spirit to empower the preaching of the Word so that we our faith wouldn't just come to rest in the wisdom of men, but our faith would come to rest in who? In Christ, who is the power of God. I, I need that gospel gasoline poured into my soul today. I'm just assuming someone else here might need that as well. So that's what we're praying for this morning. That's why I encourage you to pray. This is an invitation from your pastor to go from spectator to participant, just like we've been doing in our corporate prayer time, to even take this now as a time to praise a Jesus family. Maybe you look left, maybe you look right, see who's sitting around you, in front of you, behind you, and grab their names. If you don't know their names, pray for them uh, in a no-name way, but then after the service, ask them their name. Uh, but pray for these people with specificity. Lord, right now, will you help them to see the demonstration of the Spirit and His power, and would you help this man, this woman's faith to rest in Christ, the power of God. Tracking what I'm saying here? Okay, let's do this, okay? Father, we're here to see you magnified. We want the Son to receive the glory He's worthy to receive, and we recognize our need for the Holy Spirit, just borrowing that language from what we're even going to see this morning. Lord, we're asking for the good gift of the Holy Spirit so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have our eyes turned to see Christ, the power of God. So Lord, for the Jesus family in front of me, I ask, would you do this? 
Would you give us eyes to see our need to be listeners to the words of Jesus? Would you harden like concrete in our hearts the need to be shameless, persistent prayers, men and women who pray to the Father? Lord, make us dependent on you in these ways. And Holy Spirit, would you work in all of our lives right now to convince us of the absolute need to be these kinds of missionary disciples. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. From the end of chapter 9, if you remember all the way to the beginning of chapter 19, it's just this one large chunk of scripture we've been saying now over and over again that teaches much about discipleship. I'm not just saying that to waste all of our time or just because I have nothing else to say. It's just important to know this concerning this, this chunk of scripture here. It's good to ask the question, like, what, what is a disciple? Because if this chunk of Scripture from 9 to 19 is about discipleship, you hear the word disciple in there, a very simple definition of a disciple is just someone who follows and learns from a master. Someone who follows and learns from a master. The implication there is following the master, you're learning from him. That means you're listening what he has to say, and then you're doing what he says. That's all implied in there. But a disciple is someone who follows and learns from their master. Well, Jesus is our master. If you've repented of your sins and you've turned to faith in Christ, you have a new master. His name is Master Jesus and Luke has told us that Master Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he's heading to Jerusalem in order to suffer, in order to be rejected, in order to be killed, in order to suffer, in order to die. And so then what we must do is ask, what does this mean for our daily followership of this kind of master? The good news is we don't have to just sort of throw darts up against the wall and hope they stick in regard to answers to that question. Luke gives us answers to what it means to be a follower of this kind of master, Master Jesus. Luke, he gives us answers to this followership question by dividing this large middle chunk into four sections, four themes. We've already wrapped up theme one, and this morning he's introducing theme two. And if you remember what I've said for a couple weeks now, we know he's giving us a new theme. We know he's rolling into a new section because when he moves us into a new section, he always gives a traveling reference reminding us, remember now, this Jesus that we pursue is heading to Jerusalem. And then there's almost always right on the tail end of this reminder that he's going to Jerusalem, there's a question on the lips of somebody asking a question to Jesus, and Jesus then lays hold of that question, and then he begins to unravel some truths about what it means to follow him. So, if you look this morning as we roll into this new followership theme, we're going to see that this second section, this second theme of discipling, this discipleship idea is this idea of the growth of the Savior's kingdom. Verse 38, notice what it says. Luke tells us, as they went on their way. Well, it's as they went on their way where? As they went on the way to Jerusalem. Notice that Martha of the famous sister duo, Mary and Martha, asks a question. What does she say? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Jesus is going to use that opportunity to shepherd our sister in Christ's heart. He's going to do that. 
But more than the shepherding of our heart, through the shepherding of her heart, Jesus' reply lays down a followership truth. The necessary good portion for any disciple is to listen to Jesus' teaching and to pray. You guys probably know the Mary-Martha story. It is unique to Luke's gospel alone. We bump into Mary and Martha in other gospels, but this particular incident is just unique to Luke's gospel. And Jesus is going to help her see that she was distracted with much serving, but there, that's, a, that's a good thing, but there's a better portion for her, and her sister's doing this. And the followership truth is this idea that Martha needed to learn that it is good and right. The necessary good portion is making the ultimate priority of our lives being listening to Jesus' teaching and praying to the Father. What's the one thing you never want to hear as an answer from your pastor with your life's troubles? What's going on? Do this kind of thing. The pastor eventually boils down. What's he get down to? You probably, are, you, are we reading the Bible and are we praying? It's the one thing, it's the one answer all of us hate hearing. But it's the one repeated answer from the scriptures that is consistently always before us, is it not? And Jesus is going to shepherd us to see why it's crucial listening to his teaching and praying. Now, what we're going to see in a couple of weeks, the the closing parables of this particular travel section, you're going to see Jesus talking about kingdom growth. He's going to be talking about how it's like yeast, how it's like a little seed that starts off small but eventually grows and gets big. What you're going to see is that the very end of this particular travel section, this particular theme, is going to deal with the hidden yet unstoppable growth of God's kingdom. It's hidden, it's small, but it is unstoppable. It is growing. Because as we've seen, the Lord of the harvest is in the business of what? harvesting. Gates of hell will not prevail. His kingdom is moving forward. And so when we stitch together the opening, this interaction we see with Jesus, Mary, Martha, listening to the word, and then Luke stitches right onto the backside of it, the Lord's prayer, highlighting the need to listen to the word in prayer. And then on the very back end, the book end of this travel section, this idea of the hidden growth of the kingdom, I think Luke wants us to see that as we seek to understand what this means for us, pursuing the Lord, listening to his word, submitting to him, obeying him, you're going to see there's a lot of talk about fear and anxiety in this particular traveling section. I think Jesus is going to help us. Luke is helping us by pulling the teachings of Jesus together to see that there's, there's anxieties, real fears that come with listening to the words of Jesus, doing what he says, but he's going to shepherd our souls and love and care for us, but he's going to remind us that this is how the kingdom grows. When disciples come and take their anxieties, their fears, and lay them at the feet of the Savior, listening to his word, praying to the Father is the right overflow of listening to his word, guess what? Slowly, But surely, the kingdom grows and not only lays hold of our heart, soul, and mind, but it ekes out into the world that needs to see Jesus. It lays hold of other men, women, heart, soul, mind. They repent, they believe, and slowly but surely, guess what? Kingdom grows. Kingdom grows. Kingdom grows. So it's important to ask yourself this question, and I think it's up on the screen behind me. Why is my growth 
as a disciple so important? A lot of us can answer that in an individual sort of way. Well, it's important because of me, and I want to grow, and I want to pursue Jesus, and I want to grow deeper in my relationship with him. I think there's biblical warrant for an answer like that. But what we're going to see here in Luke is this. The reason why we should care to grow, the reason why the word of God and prayer is so crucial to our followership of Jesus is because kingdom growth and my personal growth are intimately woven together, okay? So that's the big idea, and now we're going to dive in, we're going to get real narrow on these particular verses in front of us this morning. So where does Luke lead us? How does he start us off in trying to grasp this concept that the growth of the kingdom is intimately connected to your pursuit of Jesus by listening to his word and your pursuit of the Father by praying to him? How do we begin to connect these here? What we're going to see first is this, starting off in chapter 10, verse 38, that missionary disciples are called to listen to the words of Jesus. Missionary disciples are called to listen to the words of Jesus. As everyday disciples, our everywhere followership of Jesus, it looks like something. It looks like something. And it looks like giving ourselves to the one thing necessary. That's what Jesus is going to tell Martha. There's one thing necessary. There's a good portion. Your sister's laid hold of it. I'm shepherding you to see what it looks like for you to lay hold of it. And it's this, this pressing priority of listening to and then acting upon my words, the words of Jesus. Look, starting there in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, so there's the travel reference that identifies this new theme, this new section. Jesus, what did he do? He entered into a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, you start reading this, you start wading into this encounter, this situation, this scenario, and what you see at first glance is this. You, you sort of bump it, you're like, Mary, I don't know, like, her inactions just appear to be a little irresponsible, right? If you've ever been the host of a home, if you've ever had an important guest show up, whenever you want to lay out the spread, give the meal, if you want to lean into hospitality, go full tilt, and your help comes over, and then you look around and you notice that your help is actually helping, your help is actually doing anything but helping, it's, it's just not hard to understand why Mary or Martha gets, gets into a little bit of a twist, right, if you've ever been there. So you just look and go like, Mary, come on, you know, like you're supposed to be on team Martha, you're supposed to be helping her out. Her inaction appears to be very irresponsible. And it really, the way that you can understand this is, comes down to just what Jewish culture, what social custom was at that time. For Martha to welcome Jesus into her house meant that Jesus was going to and ought to be provided for in a huge way. Not only because it's Jesus, but because that's just what you do. Social custom at that time was you go out of your way to make a traveler, to make a friend, to make a stranger feel very welcomed and wanted in your home. That was part and parcel of the ancient Near East social custom. It would mean then in this moment as Jesus and probably the disciples at least and some others show up, Martha welcomes them into her home. It would mean all hands on deck in order to do what needed to be done to make sure Jesus feels welcomed and wanted in her house. Yet, she looks over 
And I don't know how your mind plays this out, but I can see Martha's face scrunching, and I can see her heart starting to turn a little black with bitterness and anger as she looks at her sister just over there, you know, doing anything but work, just listening to Jesus' words, sitting at his feet. The one expected to be working was instead sitting, listening. And this brings Martha to utter a very understandable complaint in verse 40. Notice what she says to Jesus. Luke tells us, distracted with much serving. Notice it wasn't distracted with serving. Serving is not the issue here. There's something going on in Martha's heart. There's much serving going on. It's distracting her. And Luke tells us that Martha goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care? I find that to be very interesting. There's something that goes in our hearts when our misplaced priorities become the king of our lives and other people refuse to bow down to our priorities, how all of a sudden it's easy for us to go, why don't you care, Bob? What's your issue? Why aren't you coming and towing the line of the thing that's so important to me? How come you're not coming along and doing? Notice all of a sudden it's Jesus' fault. It's his lack of care because of Mary's decision to come and listen, right? So there's, there's something going on in the heart here. My sister's left me. I'm serving alone. I need you to tell her to come help me. What we're about to learn is that Martha has her priorities out of whack. It's a good thing that she has received Jesus into her house. It's a good thing that she desires to serve Jesus, but it is possible for good things to become distracting things. Amen? Anyone ever been there in life? I, most of the stuff in my life isn't the difference between like pure and absolute evil and good. A lot of it is it's the good things distracting me from the ultimate best thing. And that's sort of what's going on here. Martha is not like some raving pagan. I think she is a, she's falling. She's pursuing Jesus, but she just, she just needs to understand like a little, little twisting has gone on in her heart, in her, in her mind. And when someone, when anyone fails to bow down to our misplaced priorities in any given moment, guess what? The me monster can and will raise its ugly head. Anyone have any me monster moments this past week? See, ain't no, oh, come on now, this is church here. There we go. All right, all right. I was about to have a side sermon on lying in church, Charles, is what we were going to do here. You know where the meme monster came from? Brian Regan. Anyone know the comedian Brian Regan? You ever seen the skit? Go search YouTube Brian Regan meme monster. It's one of the funniest things in the world because you'll be laughing at how close it is to you. The meme monster will raise its ugly head. Fed by self-pity, the meme monster will assume the worst of another. Haven't ever been there before? How dare you, and why can't you, and what's your issue, and what's your deal? We'll start finger-pointing at people. We'll accuse others. We'll grow exasperated and annoyed with whoever failed to fall in line with our pet priority at that time. That's the me monster. This is where Martha's at. She is not only exasperated at her sister, but she is also annoyed at Jesus. All of a sudden, she's accusing Jesus. Well, you don't care. But notice how her false accusation is met with tenderness on the part of Jesus. Verse 41. Martha, Martha. That's endearment. That's kindness. That's grace. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. The implication here seems to be over things not that important. Has that little reversal ever happened in your life? Notice that Jesus isn't saying you are anxious and troubled over unimportant things. 
Just things not that important when compared to the one thing necessary. It's so easy to do in all of our lives where good things, right things, truly important things, all of a sudden grow and oust off the throne, so to speak, that which is the one thing necessary, the ultimate priority. The necessary good portion Jesus is teaching, Mary, teaching Martha the necessary good portion for any disciple is to listen to and act upon Jesus' teaching. So he's not saying your serving is wrong. He's not saying the fact that you want to be hospitable is wrong. What he's saying is it's learning to discern and rightly organize your life. You have anxiety and you have trouble about many things, and it's just things that when compared to the one thing, it's not. This isn't the most pressing priority right now. The pressing priority is to do what Mary is doing. What's Mary doing? Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet and listening, soaking, learning, absorbing, abiding. You see, listening to Jesus is to take priority over every other pressing priority. Pressing priorities are pressing because they are pressing. <laughs> pressing priorities. They're true. My life's full of them. Your life's full of them. I bet we could stand here and hold up the mic and we could, we could pull out a whole line, hours of testimony about how good, right, pressing priorities crowd out in our lives the ultimate priority of listening to Jesus and the Word of God. Yeah? Yeah. And so Jesus is shepherding us right now. He's shepherding Martha. He's shepherding you. He's shepherding me. Listening to Jesus is to take priority over every other pressing priority. It's when we allow for true and genuine, good, right, Pressing priorities to overthrow the ultimate priority of listening to Jesus that our settled hearts become anxious and troubled about many things. Have anyone ever been there before? When the good, right, pressing priorities sort of take the Jesus priority and go, get out of here, and then rise to the top, I find at least my heart starts to become anxious and troubled about many, many things. Now, this isn't saying that if you prioritize Jesus listening to Him, you will never have anxieties and troubles. But what it is saying is a surefire way, I think, to guarantee anxieties and troubles is to take that which is to be the fuel, the sustenance, the nourishment of our lives, listening to Christ, laying ourselves down sort of at the feet of Jesus, so to speak, as Mary is doing, listening to Christ, soaking it up with Christ, abiding in Christ, feeding on Christ, getting our nourishment and sustenance from Christ. When we take that and go, get out of here, and then we allow the good pressing things to rise up, it's, I would argue, a surefire formula for anxiousness, troubles, and fears to arise. Now, Jesus, I don't think in this moment, is suggesting that his disciples abandon all the activities of daily life. Because I can already see some of the thought bubbles above your heads right now. Ain't nobody got time for that. Who's got time to do this? Pressing priorities are pressing priorities because they're pressing priorities. Like they need to be done. 
So like, is Jesus somehow suggesting that I need to kick out pressing priorities and all the activities of daily life and somehow enter into this never-ending Bible study? I, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't hear what he's, what he's not saying. Rather, I believe Jesus is leading us to make this decision. He's leading us to make listening to his teaching, to his word, the word, the priority that just overrides everything else. So it's just sort of making this kind of decision in my life. Man, I've got a thousand pressing priorities today. Ergo, what I must do is get in the word. I have to. I have to. I have to. Because I do have pressing priorities. There is a pressing priority in Mary and Martha's life serving and welcoming and living up to the social customs in good and right ways. But there's a, there's a priority ultimate to that. And that's giving yourselves to the listening of the Word. So I think, again, Jesus is leading us to make listening to His teaching the priority that overrides everything else. All other priorities of life should be organized under this one necessary thing. So, how could this apply to our lives? Bunch of ways. Here's a few. If a disciple, missionary disciple, or compassionate laborer, follower of the master, if a disciple has chosen a career path that makes listening to Jesus' word next to impossible due to work, man's, work demands, and I think Jesus is clear on what needs to change. If a family has developed rhythms that have demoted listening to his word to a secondary place in the life of the family, then I think Jesus is clear what needs to be changed. Priorities need to be reorganized. Even if individuals have developed patterns of seemingly worthy activity, but these patterns of seemingly worthy activity, in fact, wage war against what Jesus considers to be of first importance. Jesus says you need to change your priorities. Again, I'm not saying this is the, the difference between evil, like outright rank, like satanic, versus all things good, right, and true. It's usually things that are like good, right, and true, good, right, and true, good, like just varying degrees of these things. And it's just learning to say, man, and as, as I navigate as an individual, as I navigate school, as I navigate relationships, as I navigate the work world, as I navigate the guy and the woman in the cubicle next to me, as I navigate being a mom, a dad, as I navigate being a child, as I navigate being a parent, as I navigate being a friend, as I navigate being a neighbor, as I navigate all these things, it's just, Lord, pressing priority, pressing priority, good and right, rhythms, patterns in my life, but what we're going to do, we're going to echo the words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, as for the patterns of my life, Christ will be ultimate, make it like concrete in my soul that I will prioritize prioritize above all things, listening to the words of Christ. Not because this is the eternal Bible study and these pressing matters really aren't pressing, but it's because these matters are so pressing, I have to hear from you. I have to hear from you. I must. So missionary disciples, what do they do? They listen to the words of Jesus. Well, before I move on to point two, does anyone else, does anyone find that hard? Yeah? Show of hands. Hard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
There's going to be a reason here in a minute, I think, why if you cast your eyes down to chapter 11, verse 13, where Jesus is going to say, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father, what? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So if you're sitting here now going, man, I hear what he's saying, but I'm having trouble hearing what he's saying. Do you understand what I'm saying there? The invitation, I think, from the part of Jesus in verse 13 is ask for the Holy Spirit. The Father's not stingy. He's not an abuser. He will give you what you need, the power of the Spirit in your life to learn how to take pressing priorities and subordinate them to the ultimate priority of finding the ways to give yourself to the listening of Christ and his word, okay? So that's just how these, these verses are stitching together, okay? So, missionary disciples listen to the words of Jesus. But, number two, missionary disciples pray to the Father with shameless persistence. Missionary disciples pray to the Father with shameless persistence. That's verses 1 through 13 there in Luke 11. So, starting in chapter 11, verse 1, notice what Luke writes. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, feels very disoriented. Mary, Martha, boom, all of a sudden we're to prayer. But I think there's an idea. Luke has stitched these two uh, incidents together because he's trying to help us see this word and prayer reality in the life of the disciples. So Jesus praying, certain place, he gets done, he's finished praying. One of the disciples who apparently were watching Jesus do this says to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, if there is an echo of familiarity to these words, then thank you for paying attention to my sermons, because a couple of weeks ago, we were studying these very things. Remember that? Three-part sermon series, Missionary Need, we were studying these words in Matthew's Gospel. We notice then what we hear and see now is this, that one of the disciples witnesses Jesus, so he says, Lord, enroll us into the school of prayer. That's the language we're using. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you guys how to pray. That's what Jesus does. In response to the request, Jesus taught them the content of Christian prayer. That's what you see in verses 2 through 4. Again, if you want more of a deep dive on the Lord's Prayer and how to think these things out, I'd recommend you go listen to, to those sermons. This isn't me saying this right now so I can get out of trying to explain the Scriptures to you. What I'm just saying is we're going to fly a little bit of higher level through some of these verses because we took a more deep dive back in Matthew. But we can say some things, and what we can say is this. Verses 2 through 4, Jesus gives us the content of Christian prayer. It comes down to this. As a missionary disciple learns to listen to the words of Jesus, a natural overflow will be the prayer, will be prayer to the Father. But while there will be a natural desire to pray, it may not be obvious how we should pray. Anyone ever been there before? Man, I, I know praying is right. Like I just, what, what, what do I say? What do I do? Jesus says, let me show you. I'm going to teach you. It may not be obvious how we should pray, but here's the kindness of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, he says, let me show you. I want you to pray like this. Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So when prayer begin with seeking God's presence before your provision, we touched on this out of Matthew, you have a heavenly Father. Have you ever just stopped and dwelt on that fact alone? You have a heavenly Father. You, Christian, have a heavenly Father. He is your Father and you are His child because you have peace with God through the forgiveness of sins found in the Lord Jesus. 
And the right reaction to mercy and grace received is to pray for the Father's name to be hallowed. That is, to pray for His name to be held in high honor, for His glory to spread. Father, You are good, You are gracious, You are kind. You have saved a wretch like me, and I want Your name, who You are, Your character, Your attributes, Your nature to be known and to spread. Father, hallowed be Your name. Now, this ties in closely with what Jesus says next, praying for your kingdom come. To pray your kingdom come is to pray for the good news of God's kingdom to spread. It's to ask for the rule of Christ to take hold in the hearts of women and men as they are plucked from Satan's dark kingdom, transferred into his good news kingdom. In other words, to pray your kingdom come is to pray for the plentiful harvest to be flooded with laborers. Lord, flood. Flood the harvest with laborers. Flood the harvest so that the work of evangelism is done. Flood the harvest so that many will turn from their rebellion and turn to trust in King Jesus for salvation. Your kingdom come. Lord, we are begging. Consume this earth with your kingdom. Pull people in. But notice that to prioritize the Father's presence before our needs does not mean our Heavenly Father has no care for your needs. He is our Heavenly Father, after all. So Jesus urges us to pray for God's provision, give us each day our daily bread, to pray for God's pardon, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. He says, pray for God's protection, lead us not in temptation. We pray for provision. Why? Because we're dependent. We're dependent. We're not independent. We're dependent creatures created by God to be so. And so we need His provision. We pray for pardon because we are guilty of sin. And we need someone to forgive us who has the right and the power to forgive us. We pray for pardon for our sin. We pray for protection from the evil one. We pray for protection from temptation. Why? Because we're weak. We're prone to be tempted. And so we need the Lord's help in this way. But notice this. The beauty of the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel is that Luke gives us a little bit more insight and understanding as we roll into verse 5. We get a little bit more insight into Christian prayer. Jesus is not just concerned with content, but He's also concerned with the attitude of Christian prayer. And that's what we see in verses 5 through 8. So he gives us the content of Christian prayer, but it's, he's helping us. saying, like, Well, what, what should the attitude of your heart be when you approach these particular words? When you are praying, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, your kingdom come. Father, give us. Father, forgive us. Father, lead us. What should be the attitude of our heart when we approach our Heavenly Father in prayer praying along these lines. That's what verses 5 through 8 is about. It's the attitude of shamelessness. It's the attitude of persistence. Jesus weaves this story to drive home the point. Do you see what he says here in verse 5? He said to him, guys, I want you to listen up. Got a story. Story has a point. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, I need you to give me three loaves of bread. Why? Because a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I don't have anything to set before him. Which of you has a friend who will then answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. The implied answer is, all of us have a friend like this. 
shoot, many of us are this friend. If someone came banging on our door at midnight and be like, bro, you need to beat it. I'm in bed. Kids are in bed. Dog's kindled up. I ain't getting out of bed for you. But notice this. Jesus is, Jesus is making a lesser to greater argument here. He's about to say this in verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. Impudence $3 word that means shamelessness. Because of this guy's shamelessness to come and lean on this guy's friendship, Jesus is saying his shamelessness led him to go to his begrudging friend. And if his begrudging friend is even going to get to the place where he answers and responds to this man's shameless, persistent coming to him, how much more the father who is not even close to being a friend like this will respond to your shameless, urgent, repeated coming to him in prayer. Again, I say this. Notice, Jesus is not saying that God is like this grouchy neighbor. We don't have to somehow back God into a corner so we can twist the Father's arm to get things out of him. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, he's saying the exact opposite. What he's saying is this, and if a tired and selfish neighbor finally meets the needs of a bothersome friend, how much more will a loving heavenly father meet the needs of his own dear children? Remember, in Christ, we are not mere friends of God. We are friends of God. Luke is going to tell us and refer to Jesus as the friend of sinners here in several chapters. Jesus is the friend of sinners, but we're not just merely friends. We are also blood-bought sons and daughters adopted into the Heavenly Father's family. You are a child of the Father. And Jesus has just taught us that when you pray, say, Father. I'm praying to a Father right now. Thus, never forget this, Jesus is saying. God the Father is not like this neighbor, for He never sleeps. He never gets impatient. He's never irritable. He is always generous, always delights in meeting the needs of His children. This is the attitude of Christian prayer. It informs us and invites us to come with shamelessness before the Father and say, this is a need, this is a want, this is a desire, I have these things. I need you to lead me, Father, and give me what I need in these moments. And when I don't need, I promise you're not going to give them. I'm giving just myself to you like a child gives themselves to an earthly father. I'm going to give myself to my heavenly Father in prayer. Therefore, persistence shamelessness in asking, confidence and perseverance are to be the markers of how we pray. Listen, our Heavenly Father never exploits His children. He doesn't exploit His children. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is the true and perfect Father. Many of us have had earthly fathers who did exploit us. And it's hard at times to divorce what we have learned and seen modeled for us on the horizontals of life. What we want to do is sometimes transpose those onto the vertical of life and assume if my earthly father is willing to do this, my heavenly father, is he willing to do this? And Jesus is here saying, no, the heavenly father never exploits his children. Why? Because our heavenly father is the true and perfect and good 
Father. And it's the fatherliness of our Heavenly Father which fuels the expectation of Christian prayer. And that's what we see in verses 9 to 13. Because this is the content. Father, hallowed, kingdom, give us, forgive us, lead us. I'm coming to you. You're not the grouchy friend. I'm coming to you. You are the Heavenly Father. I'm coming to you with shameless persistence and asking confident that you delight to hear my prayer. What is the expectation? What should we expect on the backside of content like what Jesus gives us with a heart attitude that is leaning into the Lord's prayer in this way? What expectation should we have? It is expectation that I am positive we do not even remotely grasp. What's the expectation starting there in verse 9? The expectation is this. Ask and you're going to receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That's the expectation. To be in Christ means we now get to approach God the Father in the expectation that as we pray for the things identified in the Lord's Prayer, it is absolutely right that He should answer. Do not do what so many do. They take verses 9 and 10, rob them of their context, and turn it into some kind of bogus baloney of name it and claim it. Well, I asked God for a raise, and I asked God for my boss to get fired because he's a real jerk, and I asked for the new car, and I asked, and I asked. I'm asking, he says, if I ask to receive. No, this is a promise, an unconditional promise. Jesus hangs no conditions on this. Ask, receive. Seek, find, knock, it'll be open to you. Many of us go, well, I need that kind in my life, and we go nuts with it, not recognizing that it exists in a context. It's the context of the Lord's Prayer. So when you come asking, seeking, knocking about the Lord's presence, the Father's presence, when you come asking, seeking, knocking for provision, pardon, and protection, Jesus is telling us it is absolutely right to approach Him in prayer with the expectation that your prayer will be answered. That doesn't mean answered in the ways that you always get what you want. It might mean you get the answer of a no for now, but it is you are going to find answers. This is why Jesus says, ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open. For, notice, everyone. Not the religious elites. Not those with a lot of cash. Not those highly intelligent. Everyone who asks, receives. Seeks, finds. Knocks, and it will be opened. Friends, this is the eternal law of God's kingdom. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who asks receives. Prayer is designed to be heard and answered. I think the expectation that many of us falsely bring into prayer is I'm praying and I'm 95% sure there's never going to be an answer. And Jesus says, no, in the kingdom of my, my kingdom, prayer is designed to have answers to it. And I want you to know this so that it fuels your expectation to shamelessly approach the Father as you say, hallowed kingdom will be done. Provide, please. Protect, please. Pardon, please. Know that those kind of prayers are designed to have answers from the Father. Let this fuel your expectation. 
One thing is sure, to counteract our doubting and distrusting hearts, Jesus wants us to believe with certainty that asking, seeking, knocking, and prayer cannot be in vain. Using Jesus' last illustration, if we ask the Father for a fish, the Father's not going to give us a serpent. If we ask for an egg, He's not going to give us a scorpion. He is the giver of good gifts, the Holy Spirit being one of the best gifts we could ever possibly receive. Thus, follow in the footsteps of Mary. Listen to Jesus' teaching. Just listen to what He's saying. Listen to what He's saying. Listen to Jesus' teaching. Take these words just as they were spoken. Do not let human reason weaken their force. Many of us right now are trying to logic what Jesus is saying right now. And we're, we're reasoning ourselves out of the power of the promise, and we're weakening prayer in our own minds because we're trying to sweep, leg sweep out these promises. Now, there's a lot more to be said about this. James 4 comes to mind, praying and asking with wrong intent and all these sorts of things. But right now, Jesus was willing to teach these disciples this seeming, this unconditional promise. Ask, perceive, seek, find, knock, it's going to be open to you. And that's just what I want you to hang on right now. I think the reason why prayer feels so hard at times and so weak is because we try to human reason our way out underneath this promise. But don't let human reason, please don't let human reason weaken the force of Jesus' words. Take them and believe them just as Jesus gives them. And then rejoice in the promise of answered prayer as you pray to your Heavenly Father. Do so with persistent asking. Do so with repeated seeking. Do so with urgent knocking. And our Father knows how to give good gifts to His children. Allow this. Allow this to build within you the confident expectation of answered prayer. Man, this is, this is tough. This is deep. This is challenging, is it not? But these are the words of Christ. So let's marry, M-A-R-Y, not Martha, but marry these words. Pull up to the feet. Listen to his words and trust that Jesus is not lying to us right now. And trust the power of the promise of shameless, persistent prayer. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we need you, as we sang earlier today, oh, how we need you. Not a moment, second, minute, hour, day, week, month, year, where we can stand up and say, you know what, I just really didn't need it. Now, we might fool ourselves into thinking these things, but that's just it. We were fooled in that moment. Jesus, you are so very kind to love us and shepherd us in these ways. Lord, in line with what you teach us in verse 13, Lord, will you give the Holy Spirit right now? Give that gift. Give the gift of his empowering. Give the gift of his leading. Give the gift of insight spirit on just how to best apply and wrestle with these truths so that we may go forward listening to your word and leaning 
in the everlasting arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're asking for your help in these ways. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we say thank you for the help that will come. Amen.